Hello, and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. During the pandemic, one thing I really noticed was the lack of art in my life and how much that mattered to me. Uh, I really took that for granted. So today I have a really special episode for you. I have the opportunity to check out this really cool virtual theater show. Uh, it's called Wounded, and I'm with the cast today to learn more about their story to bringing this beautiful piece of art to life. And these women have been able to find a way to creatively keep theater alive uh, while also making it accessible and even leveraging the virtual conferencing trend to make this piece. I'm Cassidy Kep, um, and I was the director for Wounded. I'm Sofia Figueroa. Um, I was acting in Wounded as 57. My name is Juliana Ceron, and I played O1 in Wounded. I'm Elena Kramer. Elena. Um, and I played 92 in Wounded. My name is Sophie McIntosh, and I'm the playwright of Wounded. My name is Paulina de la Parra, and I play 74. I'm Lily Brenner, and I acted as 19. Thank you for coming in today and, and chatting with me. How do you all know each other? How did you guys come together and create this? So this piece was actually performed as part of a series called Women's March by a theater company called Imaginarium, um, based out of NYC. And I submitted this piece. They op they had an open submissions for like various themes, like by for plays by women about women. And I submitted, and it was accepted. And from there, I got paired up with Cassidy as my director, um, and we got to go through a whole casting process. Cassidy, do you want to talk at all about the casting process and what that was like? Is the first time you guys met together? And yes, you, it was. you put this together. Okay, awesome. So how was that process? It was honestly really great. Like I knew from like my first meeting with Sophie that it was going to be a good collaboration. Um, and obviously I really loved her work. So it was just a perfect pairing. In terms of how we moved into the casting process, we saw a bunch of auditions over two days, uh, including some self tapes as well. I already knew Sophia, and so I was really happy to cast her in the role as 57, and uh, Sophia already knew Elena and Lily, and it's actually kind of funny, Lily evidently played a one in the first read-through that Sophie did, but I saw her read as 19, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just can't get her out of my head as 19, so uh, we cast her in that role, and then Juliana and Paulina, we saw their auditions and were just like really drawn to them. And for me, Paulina even talked about the femicides in Mexico a little bit in her audition. And I could tell like she was really going to connect to the work. And I was just really excited and happy to work with this cast. Beautiful. That's so amazing. So how did you come up with this idea visually? You know, how did you put together the the numbers that you wanted to choose to work with, the premise of the story, you know, where where did that come about for you? What was the inspiration? Were there any other plays or artists in mind that that you drew from creatively to get there? I mean, a lot of the visual credit for like what was going on on screen during the recording goes to Cass. She did some really awesome um, like Zoom choreography and blocking yeah. for us. That was really, really... Um, she made really creative use of the medium. But as far as where I was coming from with the story idea, in terms of like naming the characters after numbers, I'm just very interested in how female victims or, I mean, you know, you like to say survivors, but in this case, they weren't survivors, become very faceless over the years. Like they just get tied to the event itself, when it happened, what happened, and who they are themselves often gets sort of washed away with history. So I was interested in sort of like playing with that namelessness by making these characters actually nameless in that sense. 
Yeah, and in terms of like stylistic influences, I'm always hugely influenced by Sarah Kane. She's one of my favorite playwrights. Adrian Kennedy is just like beautifully poetic and she's someone that like I played off a little bit with this as well. Just adding to that, I'm obviously not a playwright, but what I could get from it is also how timeless this problem has been. Like it, I, I feel like nowadays it's, it kind of could go into that category of, oh, you know, it's like trendy. Right now it's trendy to be feminist and, you know, to talk about this topics that necessarily we were not talking about before. And I think that just shows you that this is not a recent problem. It's not a trend. Like it's something that has been happening for a while now. We just didn't have the, the vocabulary necessarily. Like I, I was just thinking about like all this serial killers, right? It's like, oh, the serial killer that kills women. And it's like, no, I mean, yes, he is a killer, but those are feminicides or femicides and it's not giving the proper vocabulary. So I think that shows a lot to me as, as an actor that it's just timeless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think recently there has been a, a trend for social human rights causes, you know, and I think it's because the state of the world is just in chaos, right? So we might as well talk about all the things that we've always wanted to talk about that we never found that, oh, you know what? This isn't a good time to talk about it. But now every time is a good time to talk about anything that's important to us because we don't know how long we're going to be on this world for, right? So what ideally would be the intent of telling the story like this? Like what was the purpose? What, what outcome would you have wanted? Yeah, I think the most important thing about this is to start a conversation. I watched then the performance virtually with my parents and we had a really good conversation after the fact because I think Sophie does a really great job of diving into a lot of really nuanced perspectives. You know, not all of the characters are diehard feminists. Like my character was in a relationship with the man who murdered her and she continues to defend him and is kind of in denial that it was on purpose, you know? She's like, it's an accident, it's an accident. And so I think it's really cool to bring in all of those different perspectives. And I think that that leads to really nuanced conversations after the fact. And that's how we can create some kind of change is by talking about it. Um, I also feel like something that I, I learned and understood from being part of this uh, play was that it's okay to be in this dark place, in a place that you don't feel at your best. And it's okay to be there and find light and find beauty in sisterhood, in women supporting women, in people listening to your story, and in that finding your voice, even when you're at your darkest place. And in this case, in the play, these women are dead. But when you take that off the table, then that's when we can have conversations. I feel the media, movies, everything is based off women already being dead, like women being found, murdered. Like, But this story, we all start from us being dead. So now let's have the conversation, you know? And that's where I found the most beauty in this very heavy and heartbreaking play was finding the love between us, even though we thought differently, even though our feminism is different because we come from different eras. And that was beautiful for when I also had conversations with family members and friends that came to see the play. We could talk about it like, oh, this character 
thought this way, which is still how some of my family members feel today, um, because those ideas might be outdated, but are still the reason why we can't move forward, as you were mentioning at the beginning. Yeah, <clears throat> well, piggybacking off of what Sophia said, it's, it's exactly that what drew me into the play itself when I first read it. Um, just the first read already was enough to just to, I, like I felt like I was I was being heard like every thought I had ever had whenever I I would walk down the street and got catcalled or whenever my friends would tell me about a scary experience they had or just by turning on the TV and watching the news I felt like every single thought I'd had throughout every single one of those times was put into this beautifully told play and it was told by the women themselves. It wasn't told, as, as we've spoken about this so many times with the cast before, is that it's it's no longer, it, this is no longer the typical story of um, an event that happened to somebody else, to the victim's families. This is about the victims because they were victims because there was something that happened to them. And there are stories that don't get told because there's no way to know exactly what was happening when it happened to them. So this is, and that was exactly what I, I was, and I'm still hoping that the audience got out of it is that what, what this looks, what the violence against women looks like is, is very, it's not black and white. There's this huge gray area that you can't really pinpoint exactly the reasons why it would happen to somebody because it, it, it is, it is entirely based off of the context they're in. And the way that they react to each situation, it also, like Sofia said, and like Elena said about 92 as well, is my brain immediately goes to want to say like um, how some people think that it's women's fault because they put themselves in that position mm -hmm. when in reality, everything that happened in their lives from the moment they were born to the moment that th this happened to them was what led them to basically allow somebody maybe they knew for instance to do something like this it's 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 something that we as women maybe not right now hopefully this generation is starting to change a little bit and i see that and and i i'm hoping I'm striving for, for that path forward forever and ever, but um, from our own experience, and we're young women, but from our own experience, this is how we were raised basically, to think a very specific way and as harmless as some comments or some rules that we should follow may seem sometimes, eventually they lead, they, they basically snowball into this big thing, into tragic events like this. and. That's the part of the victim's story that people usually just gloss over or don't even pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the most important one because it's basically the root of the problem. Yeah, I also think what's very interesting about this play is it looks at a bunch of different perspectives of how the women feel the way they feel. First of all, they look at the news outlets and what they said about them. And so how society as a whole has told them how to act, how to be, why they are where they are. People's Fathers is talked about a lot in the play and how we're told, you know, 
to stay safe by doing X, Y, and Z. And then they judge each other in the play as well. And I think that it's important for us as women to look at like, okay, when we're looking at a story because we've been told by the news and by our families, like these are precautions you should take so you don't end up in a bad situation. When you look at a case, maybe you should look at it without being like, oh, they shouldn't have been walking alone late at night and things like that. We should actually just be looking at it from a place of sympathy and a caring place. So I I think that is a really, really cool part about this play. I think Cassidy touched upon it really well. And I think that's the beauty of this play, um, of it's both incredibly universal um, to the female experience, while being really individualized and really complex and really fully realized characters. I love that despite the characters being nameless, they are all distinctly their own with really unique stories of how they lived and how they died. And I think it was really important for me as a practice who's constantly growing in my feminism to challenge, um, you know, my instincts to victim blame. Like, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think it really did challenge me um, of it doesn't matter if you said yes or no. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you were wearing. It doesn't matter if you were sober or not. All of these women have different stories despite all of them um, being brought together by femicide. And I think it's a really beautiful story to challenge people's understanding and then to then show the diversity of how they cope. And so Sophie can probably all the characters sort of represent different stages of grief and they all different, they grieve in different ways, the loss of their own lives, which is a perspective that we never get to hear (laughs) because the characters are already dead. And that's um, what's really special about this play. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Um, The fact that not only are we being exposed to these different types of perspectives, we now kind of see the the mental state. You know, I I kind of felt like all of the women were contradicting themselves, but then also proving a point and then switching perspectives every now and then. So it just showed that like, there is no black and white. Everything is so blurry that you're confused of your own justification of whether or not like this was deserved or undeserving or, you know, who should, who should I be angry at? You know, I think that was a big theme of the, of the place. I didn't realize that they were all kind of different pieces of, of grief though. So Sophie, I'd love to hear you expand on that and why you chose to go in that direction. So I was just really interested in exploring a unique structure for this play. Um, This is going to get like a little nerdy. One of my favorite, favorite theater professors in college talked about masculine and non-masculine dramatic structures. Um, Like, you know, like in English class, you look at like the Freytag's pyramid and it's like the the triangle. It's, you know, up, climax, boom, back down. Um, And in class, she talked about that structure is really, really similar to the way men experience orgasm. Like it's, you know, build up, build up, build up, there, done. Um, And she's like, and female structures and the way that women relate to their world can sometimes be a little bit different than that. And it's more like cycles and things like that. So I was really drawn to the idea of using like the five stages of grief as sort of the framework for this piece. So we start out like very much in denial. We veer like right into anger right off the bat because that's a very, very accessible, easy to latch onto emotion. 
then we get more into bargaining. We get more into blaming myself. Like, how did this happen? Like, what did I do to make this happen to me? Which is like, you know, I mean, it's not like the best way to look at a situation, but I think it's where a lot of us go when something does happen to us. We're like, what did we do as women to bring this onto ourselves? Because that's sort of how we're conditioned to think, I feel, a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. Then we get into depression, just sort of like nothing I did matters. You know, this is where I ended up. And then at the end of the play, we reach a place that's a little bit closer to acceptance, which is, you know, this is something that happened to me, but it isn't all of me. And what am I going to do to move myself forward in this situation that I'm in? And I think each of these characters is sort of stranded at different waypoints along that train. But in the end, they sort of help each other get more towards the acceptance side of things. Yeah, that might be TMI, but that's where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think maybe this is just for me and the way I saw it, but I, I feel like each woman represented one way or another that a woman feels like. I, I feel like maybe I related more to 92 and maybe my mom will relate more to 74. I think there is so much, um, I don't want to say variety, but I will say because I can find a better word for it. But I think every single woman that watched this could relate to at least one of the women here and how we experience womanhood throughout our lives. And that can totally shift from like, oh, maybe at the beginning of my years, I felt like this, but then I transitioned into this. So I think it's very important, very universal subject to, to just realize that, you know, these women represent all of us and none of us at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's crazy how there can be a representation of a human experience and yet something that you can relate to and then not relate to at the same time. I wanted to get into this question. When we think of sexual violence and sexual assault and everything that you see in the media, it's always a crazy extreme version of that. And then people dramatize it. You see that in the media, you see that in movies. And I kind of feel like that silences the voices of others. So if you think of something like domestic abuse, maybe it's not that extreme version of violence where you're like, in a hospital bed. Maybe it's a day-to-day -day ongoing situation that also deserves their story to be spoken about to explain why this is happening and that your, your feelings are valid and this is not an okay way to have a healthy relationship. But if we only experience the extreme versions and you only feel validated enough that you're like, oh, now I'm allowed to speak about it because I'm in my deathbed. You know, now I'm allowed to talk about this. No one else that has maybe like I don't know if there are even layers to the nuances of sexual assault. Like, I think that's the big, that's the new conversation we need to start having on, you know, who deserves to speak. And when we come into this space in a community of, of like-minded women that have either they can relate or unrelate or know people um, that have been in these scenarios, you know, you're more open to this conversation, but I don't wish upon everyone to wait until they experience that extreme version to feel like, oh, now I'm entering your circle. I'm now accepted because I've, I've gone through this extremity. So how would you use this platform that you have, you know, using art, um, be able to express and send these messages out to people that have not experienced it, or even encourage those that aren't there yet. They're not at the, the lowest point of their lives yet to finally rise up and speak for themselves. 
So I think in this play, somebody who most likely was being verbally abused for most of their relationship is 92. And you can kind of tell that her boyfriend was a drug addict. He was manipulative. And in those cases, like, I really encourage you to just like check in on your friends, make sure even if you see something that concerns you even just a little bit, it's worth asking just, hey, everything okay. And I think that if we start checking in on each other more often, asking those questions, making sure that everyone's relationships are healthy, we could probably start a dialogue earlier and hopefully this could happen less in general. Yeah, as you were talking, I was just like, oh, yeah, that's 92. Like, so my character is really explicit in saying, like, he was never violent. He like never hit me or touched me in a negative way until he killed me. And I think that that really speaks to that image of what abuse is, like what we think abuse is, that it has to be going to the hospital, you know? And uh, I think often it isn't that. More often it's a emotional abuse situation. And I was, in working on this character, I, I definitely was able to pull from like some previous experiences and like, I, I think there's also a lot of shame with abusive relationships. Like we've talked a lot about that victim blaming idea. And I think that's really strong in terms of domestic abuse because you don't want to admit that you somehow let this happen to you. You somehow fell in love with someone and stayed with someone who called you stupid all the time or, you know, like those little things that add up. And so I think it's important that 92 is in the play because I think she really does represent that woman who's like, no, nothing's wrong because he hasn't hit me yet, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> and not being able to recognize the, the warning signs. And I think also just personally, like, I am a survivor of sexual assault, but I have often grappled with like my not being bad enough. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and compared to other people's. So I think that that is a real thing that can prevent you from wanting to like speak out about it. And I hope that like the different perspectives that we've talked about so much already today can show women and men watching this that like, there is no good enough <laughs> like violence like whatever if you whatever you feel is valid and your perspective is valid and what you went through is valid so my two cents <laughs> absolutely yeah and, and going off of what elena said um 92 is a really important character for me to include in this play because i feel like it's a common i don't know like common portrayals of domestic abuse always end with the woman is like you know that's it I'm leaving, I'm burning the bed. And like they like they walk out the door and it's like a clean separation. And I think a lot of the times we don't account for the fact that like these women have invested many, many years of their lives in these relationships. And it isn't easy. It isn't as easy as just walking out the door like that. Like there are going to be lingering feelings. And that doesn't mean the abuse that you endured wasn't real because you still have feelings for them. It just means that it's almost even worse because there are these emotional connections all tangled up in it. And like, you're not weak for still having feelings for the person that you lived with for all these years, even if they were doing terrible things to you. Like there's a lot of nuance to it that I feel like doesn't always get explored. And, you know, one thing that always like 
breaks my heart is like when you're when you're reading you know newspaper articles about women who are victims of domestic violence and were perhaps eventually killed by their partners does that mean that like the relationship that those two people have does that mean that that woman never really experienced love because he was abusive to her does that mean she never experienced happiness or like are those two things totally separate and I don't think that they are I think that these feelings are really, really complicated and I'm not articulating it super well right now, but just because a woman is a victim doesn't mean that that was all she was her entire life, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting because every time I talk about women's movements, everyone's like, oh, because you're a survivor, you're a victim. You have to talk about it. You, you've made your life about it and you label yourself and you label other people as in like, this is my purpose in life now because I experienced it. But that's just something that happened to you, not something that you make your life about, right? And I think that's what makes this really complicated because ideally at the end of the day, like how do we get people that have no idea what this is to start watching this? You know, how do we get the men to start watching this? they're the ones that need to understand, right? So what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Let's start with uh, Sophia. Um, going back to what you were saying about this medium and, and using art to communicate a message, I feel that right now during the pandemic, the reality is that most people are craving connection and they're craving any sort of entertainment. And the beauty of art and the beauty of theater is that it is entertainment, it is art, you know? And so people are drawn to it. And if you can have a good conversation, if you can spread a message or awareness through theater, through art, that's that's activism, I think. And that is very active. And I feel like this play kind of allows that to happen. You know, people come to be entertained and while they're coming to see a play, they're also coming to be informed. And whether the person agrees or disagrees with you, the seed is already planted in their brain. Like this is also a line in the play. Like there are seeds that are dropped here and there and whether you water it or not, that's your personal decision. And I feel like art is kind of like the door for that. Okay, you don't wanna talk about these topics, maybe you disagree, but you, you want art. You, we consume Netflix like crazy right now. Like we consume all these streaming platforms, podcasts, like we wanna connect. And so they come through this door to watch a play and in that, we kind of plant a seed. And whether they want to water it or not, that's on them. But it's, I just think that art can be so powerful. And I think that's what starts conversations. I was drawn to when you said, Amanda, sort of the representation we see is, is really extreme. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and it, I think, sends the wrong message of the, there's an idea there's only one type of woman who is a type of victim or that there's only one way for it to be valid you know there's only a certain level of intensity and abuse and part of why I think this play is impactful and why I think it's radical is about the women which is what I think it should be about it's not about their deaths it's not about this wild fight scene that is a struggle between them and their killer but it's about who they are and how they want to be remembered and it's heartbreaking but 19 has this line where she goes is that is that really what it's like is that really how i'm going to be remembered and they're telling her that 
she's going to become a, a story that they tell the girls to keep them home at night, that she's going to be a grainy photograph blown up across the front page, that no longer do these women get to be the great friends or the loving sisters and mothers or the teachers or how they want to be identified and remembered in life, but they turn into something else is giving way too much power to their kill, which is something that I hope we can start rewriting in, in our current history, in our current cultural and political climate. I think we really have an injustice in how we are reporting the femicides. I think we're spending way too much time on how they were killed and who their killer was rather than who women are in their communities and in their relationships and in their families. And this play did that for me, which was really important. Like I knew what TV 19 watched and I knew who her friends were and I knew what philosophy exam she was going to take. And I knew what her values were and what her life was like, which you don't get, <laughs> which you don't get in the news and you don't get in other plays that tell the stories of women. Yeah, I kind of wanted to add, like I talked to Sophie about this in the beginning, that this play is very clearly written by a woman because a lot of times the media and in stories that are told through movies and TV, it's very much like woman was walking down the street late at night and random man attacked her uh, and he was crazy and on drugs. And this is how this happens. When in reality, most of the time, no, most of the time they have some sort of relationship with their killer. And I think that's well reflected in this story that everyone with the exception of O1 knew their killer. They, in some way, shape or form, like some of them weren't very close, like 57 and 19 weren't very close with their killer. But in the case of 92 and 74, they were very close with their killer. And so I think that it's important to be like, looking at all the stories and accepting all of them. And I think it was important for men to see like, hey, it's not just the random guy on the street that's going to like hurt your girlfriend. Like it could be anybody, like just looking at different kinds of stories like that, I thought was really, really important. Absolutely. I think it's interesting how media made it more justifiable if it's like, if it was a random guy, you know, it's like, oh, there's just some random guy. He's on drugs. He's crazy. That's, that's the reason most men would not be this this terrible. But then the truth is in the stats that it is mostly in a relationship in like they need to have some understanding of them, right? I really enjoyed seeing that truth come out in this play. And yeah, then- just going back to your question about how do we get men to watch this? I think that's a really interesting thing to think about because it is it's like you see women's march like plays by women for women. It's like what mm-hmm. man is going to be like sign me up. So, But I think that the, the thing that I experienced was sharing it, sharing the link with my male friends and family, my dad sitting down to watch it with me, you know, and like, I think that that's how we can start is by reaching out to those men who we already have a connection with, who are willing to listen, and then in, in the hopes that they can then continue to spread that. There are conversations I have where my my dad is a wonderful man who is willing to listen and learn, but, you know, still will mansplain things and will make sexist jokes that he doesn't understand are sexist. And like, so I think it's really important. 
for those men who think they're woke uh, to <laughs> also experience this. And those are the men who are going to click on it, I think. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's interesting, since I started this project on interviewing men, these men wouldn't have expressed their emotions as openly if it wasn't a female host. Like, imagine if this was like Joe Rogan talking about like, hey, let's talk about male vulnerability. Like, it's not going to happen. So I think there's a there's a huge role that women play in opening up that conversation. So rather than, you know, a typical woman's march concept that's like very aggressive and like, you know, let's tear down the patriarchy. And, and I hate that this is the way this is painted, that uh, feminism is painted in that way all these women are just rallying up together to go against men and freaking everyone out. And men are just passively obliging, like, oh, we can't say anything against them for whatever fear that they, of their reputation suddenly. And it turns into just about them. And, you know, that's a side sidestep. But I think what's, what's interesting is actually men can look at how the feminism movement is in a way to help them with their own issues because they have been silently affected by their own patriarchy, you know, in creating whatever this version of masculinity needs to be. And that, you know, has been poisoning the rest of the world. And I think it's now finally coming to poison themselves. And if they, if we find enough of those male allies to have that openness, you know, I think that is, as, that's really going to drive that change because we can't do it without them. The way this message has been, um, for me personally, shared with men is, is, is those in my circle, those who I'm friends with. You know, I, I do think that's how these, this, we're slowly going to get that message out. And a personal observation that I made was of all of my man-identifying friends who watched this play, their comments to me were horrifying or shocking or it was, <laughs> which, in, in contrast, a lot of my woman identifying friends would say, beautiful. <laughs> they they right? would say, this was a really beautiful play. And all of the, like Spencer, Michael, Nick, all of these men in my life were like, wow, really, that was truly um, sickening. <laughs> oh um, which I think shows how much they need this to infiltrate their feed, <laughs> you know, how much they need this content. Because for women, this was no new story. It just was refreshing that it was finally being told. Like that's what was beautiful and cathartic about it. It unfortunately wasn't shocking. <laughs> it wasn't, um, you know, something new, which I think shows hopefully I can corral my boyfriends to seeing these shows and normalizing these stories. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing. Like if you think of like chick lit, you know, or women's studies, things that are just meant, you have to be a woman to understand this type of content, you know? And then when you, when there's male colleagues that join in on that conversation, they're like, Oh, can't speak. Cause I'm not a woman. And it's like, it's almost a cop-out also. And then once you finally give them a chance to experiencing it, maybe they might see it differently. And I think we're finally opening up that opportunity for men to just get a glimpse of what it's like to be a woman. Because for the longest time, it's always like, if you're not a woman, then you can't participate. Only women can understand what women are going through. And then how is that going to help enforce change in the world, right? Actually, this is like kind of a question for the actors too. But I remember, so at the beginning of the play, there are pictures of each of the actors and then has headlines about them being murdered, pasted all over them. 
I remember the first time we watched it with the actors, it was really emotional because it's actual pictures of the actors. And I was just wondering if for the men in your life, if that was like really effective, because that was before the play even started. So that was before they even got to know the characters. So they just saw you and it very much personalized with these headlines. I mean, that was obviously shocking to see myself and the other ladies in this cast because it just makes it real, right? It's all jokes until it's not jokes. And at least this is just what I do. I think we always put this separation, this distance of like, oh, this thing's happened, but it's not gonna happen to me. It's like, it happens to other girls. It happens to this other women, right? Because again, even if we don't want to, we are conditioned to think in a way that it's always our fault. We're finally starting to be like, okay, let me retrain my brain to what society has conditioned me to think about what it is to be a woman in this world, right? And so in this play, looking at those pictures and just looking at, at the subjects and the stories of this woman, just I just keep thinking to myself, I, I think I could reflect a little bit of myself in all of them. I was like, how many times myself hasn't been misogynistic in a way you know, and not because I want to and not logically, I'm like, ah, yeah, it's because you were wearing that. But in a way, I think at some point, I did think it was our fault. I think it was something that we were doing because it's still happening, right? And so this just opened my entire perspective of what it is to be a woman and just cutting that middle space that it is not other women, it's us it's here. It's not somewhere outside of me. If it happens to you, it happens to me. It's harsh when you see it that close. I think this is a fight that sometimes we see very far from us when in reality is about us. And that for men, it sounds like it's something very outside of themselves. Like, oh no, but I don't, I'm not a bad man, bad hombre. No, we, we always say those things, but how many times those men let their other male friends do jokes about other girls or past pictures, right? So it's, you are part of the problem and you're part of the solution as well. I think that's a very su important subject that I realized with this play and seeing it that close to me. Yes, and talking about problem and solution, I think that also the way, uh, like the problem is the binary, right? Like men get educated differently than women. Women get educated differently than men. The information we get and, and we receive through media, like how women should behave, what we should do, the surgeries we have to do to look different from how we're made or how what men like or this hyper-sexualized or hyper-submissive idea of what women should be or what feminine is, right? Compared to what masculinity is, like this hardened exterior, maybe a logic over empathy or these ideas that are so demanding is what I feel is problematic because it's traumatic for for everyone, right? And so in that, that's the problem. We should all have the same information, the same education and what bridges um, or, or what I think is the solution is, is art, it's us. Um, it's having that proximity to the conversation. It's not this folklore, this tale, this story that we all wanna talk about. It's our lives. It's something that happens to us. And going back to what Cassidy was saying, when you start, having this picture of them being dead, then it becomes a serious conversation. 
I remember I watched it with my parents, with both my mom and my dad. And I remember they were like, oh, like, let's get something to eat and some beer. And like, oh, this is so exciting. We're going to watch your play. And as soon as that started, it was like, everything is down. Like we're at one hour of paying attention. This is us being educated. This is us having a conversation afterwards. And then we touched the beer, then we celebrated, but it kind of, kind of sets the tone for, oh, this is, this is my daughter. This is not someone else. I feel like like the hardest things to do when trying to get the message across, I feel like is to make the people closest to you understand too sometimes. I watched it with my parents as well. And we did have a conversation about it after. And every time we do even touch on the subject, it's always, it always starts with, it's not something that would happen to you, them telling me. Because um, you're so strong and because you have such a strong character and blah, 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 and all of these things. And you're so woke about this. So you know how to take care of yourself and you know what people to hang around and stuff. But I think we can see from places like these that that's not really our choice or theirs. So being so vulnerable with your close ones, with your close ones to just tell them like, you may not think that this may happen to me, but every time I walk outside, I, I'm afraid that it could. And not just for myself, but for the people that I know that I'm closest to. And also because sometimes even our closest friends and family ignore the fact that it's happened within their own, their own stories. You know, in Latin America, it's a complicated thing because we're really known as being super family focused and being so close together and being so close knit that everything we do is for each other and about each other and we respect and love each other no matter what. And I think that that, that can sometimes be really a really toxic mindset. It doesn't really set any point where it, where it becomes too much for for somebody to handle. And I mean it in the sense that we're pretty much conditioned in our families to think that that's always gonna be the more important thing. And then whatever it is that maybe your elders do for you, it's all for your own good, for your own well-being, and all and so on and so on. So when the time comes to maybe talk about difficult uh, topics like these, those things get overlooked within your own stories, just because you want to keep the sense of no, the, the most important thing is this, it's just, it's your family, it's the fact that they've been so good to you all these other times, so that one time cannot count, or whenever, and, and I feel like it happens a lot with women as well, just, it's, it's their own, like, blame that they make for themselves, it's the whole storyline, like, no, this, this was a thing that happened to me with this person before, but that was because of this, or because of that, or because they were really, like, uh, you know, like they got angry all the time. So you really had you, you really had to do things right for them not to get angry at you. So it, it was always like excusing what happened to them. And in a way, without them even knowing that they are, but in a way they're pretty much educating you to think that that's how that's what you should do as well. That if this were ever to happen to you or somebody close to you, just know that maybe maybe they weren't on a good mood that day, or maybe you weren't doing things right, or maybe it's always a maybe, it's always a maybe. And I feel like the thing that makes me the angriest about the whole topic is when focus is taking away from the point. The point is that there was a victim. The point is that women are abused. The point, that's the point, that's it. 
so it's kind of it's, it's also frustrating to hear but what about this part of the story or wait a minute but didn't she mention like and just like for for instance just like if, if you get drunk at a club like how is that the focus now rather than the fact that you were assaulted why is that more important than the other thing and i feel like i think the reason why that's that becomes more important and i'm air quoting is because people are uncomfortable to touch on it people people just want to wipe it away and just continue on with their day without having to deal with it and it tends to be the ones who've never had to experience it i mean men because it's easier for them to just be like oh right i understand i'm listening to you just to be polite in a way or to pretend they're being woke or whatever it is but just as easy as they just tone you out completely from the conversation they can just go on with the, go on about their day pretend that it wasn't an important thing that happened whatever just just like it's it's not important anymore so you're just left with this feeling of then everything i did or everything i said it was just not worth it at all because this person is just going to go about their business thinking the exact same way just telling maybe even having a story for another time when a friend asks them if they've ever been you know the the hero the male hero when when a woman has been in need to maybe talk about what's happened to her or whatever i feel like that's that's the way i see it way too often here and and i see it way too often in my own family circle and within with my friends and sometimes also just not even saying anything at all not even acknowledging whatever happened maybe because of what you mentioned maybe it's because they feel like because they're men they have no place in the story they they're not the ones to talk about it but reality is if you it's not about it's not about pretending you know what it, what it's like that's when that's when that's when you draw the line because they could never but but it is about learning about these stories and telling these stories to the people who have yet to hear them or have ignored them completely because by by just acknowledging that you hear it that you know about it that you're willing to tell it and make a change about it that's enough that's the seed that Sofia was talking about. That's that's the seed that you keep on planting because if if you just choose to to get over, to just move it out of your way, then it's going to keep on happening. And there's no solution. And you're not doing anything. I don't care how woke you are, how much you care about an issue. If you're not doing anything to fix it, then you're not doing anything at all. And you should stop calling yourself that probably. And yeah. I, I feel like I'm getting like angry and sad and so many feelings right now, but it's, it's frustrating because especially in this past week that this play aired, there's been so many new, too many news about women who, who have, who have lived through something like this, or who have been just, just completely just ignored even by the people they know themselves. And it's infuriating now. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm being too delicate because of this, after this play, now everything seems just, it's too much. Now every, every, everything is a little bit too much now that I've been part of this task, but, but just, just seeing it constantly, it feels gross.
it feels gross and it also feels you can't help but feel a little helpless when you try to make people understand what's going on or share news we, sh we use social media for that I, I i hardly ever use my social media but when it's something important like this i'm hoping that maybe by just the people looking at my stories maybe they, they they feel the need to click on this news article and maybe know what's going on or something it's frustrating because it also feels like oh, it's on us it's on us to spread awareness to this and and we are the ones who, who should be educating people and stuff when it's more like you can educate yourself and it's it's exhausting to have to teach every single day for the sake of of trying to not not allow this to happen again in reality it's just it's a collective effort and and i'm hoping that anybody who who listens to this who who watches our show just tries to bring more awareness to it, not just for yourself, but for the people around you, because that's how change is gonna be made. And that's the only way that change is gonna be made. And have difficult conversations, because, because difficult conversation is how you really get to the root of a problem. And, and yes, it's hard and it's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable, uncomfortable but, but it's, it's worth it. It's worth it in the long run. And, that's, I feel like the one thing I hope people take out of this, of the whole thing. Yeah. I think, <laughs> amazing. I think what you touched on, um, is, uh, especially with family is, um, a feeling of like, I'm, I'm being ungrateful if I, if I'm complaining about these issues, you know, I, I, I survived it. I should be fine. I should move on with my life. We should just not talk about this anymore. It's such a negative topic. So let's forget about it. And then I look like the sore thumb, like always just wanting to, to bring up this topic over and over again. And I experience this a lot with men that I know. They're just like, I hear you. And it's like, that's it. That's the only one time that they want to hear it. And they hope that it goes away. And then they don't have to talk about it again. I think making that into more of a regular conversation is where we need to move because we're so used to the shutdown. The like, oh, you said your piece, I hear you now, let's move on to subject number two and, and we'll move on from that. I think with women, like we always keep catching up on like the same topic over and over again, right? And this might be really annoying to some men. They're just like, why do you keep talking about the same thing? But that's the point, right? Like we need to keep reiterating the same thing so that it does become a consistent topic that you have like all the time on a regular basis, there's a consistency in it. Because otherwise, yeah, we will just keep falling back and allowing the world to continue by. But your whole life has changed. Your whole experience has changed. So that needs to always be present in everything you say. That's how I've totally changed how I communicate with people. I bring up consent and, and issues of sexual violence, like immediately, if you don't want to talk to me, then you don't need to get to know me, you know, and, and rather than waiting until we've established some kind of relationship and then like throwing in all the hard stuff, right? So I think we need to, to kind of reverse that. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I could talk to you guys forever. So um, this was this was an awesome chat.